0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Need to get your football fix? Then tune in to hear The Rich Eisen Show on Podcast One Sportsnet. Join the renowned sportscaster as he mixes football analysis with pop culture, humor, and interviews with the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Download new episodes of The Rich Eisen Show every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the return of a frequent former Real Jam Radio guest who has been unavailable for the last few years, and that is the great Seth Partnow, formerly the Grand Poobah now on Calculus. Then he moved on to work in analytics for the Milwaukee Bucks for about three years and is now back in the public sphere. He just took a job at The Athletic, which I'm extremely excited about. And we had a really fun conversation. And really what, what we kind of got into, we didn't get very specific on players or teams or anything else. It was more about the conversation about analytics, about basketball, and where it has changed and where it has not changed in those three years where he's been in the private sphere. You know, So, we, so he hasn't been able to share his thoughts. And we talked a little bit about the perceptions and, and where things might be going and also where he wants to generate research, which I thought is really fun. And Seth is – I mean – For those of you who've heard me use the word, the phrase feedback loops, his research on that is is a really important part of that concept. And you can go back and read it, of course, at Now on Calculus. This episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. You can use that podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. Episode's a little bit less than an hour. Lots of really interesting stuff in here. This is a conversation unlike a lot of what you can hear anywhere. And it's fun to do during the off season where we can be a little bit more conceptual. So I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on
0: it is wonderful to be here danny
1: yeah it's fun to kind of uh, reading through your your kind of your opening statement and everything everything like that I'm, and, and I mentioned this in the the little the little tweet that I put out there, and I, I I could have waxed more effusive on on your previous work, but decided that you would hate that almost as you would hate that a lot. So I decided not to do it. But <laughs> I, I thought a good place to start was just you know getting back into the public sphere. Where are you kind of seeing as pl- things that you'd like to delve into? Maybe not immediately, but just topics that you're finding interesting as you're kind of processing all of this.
0: one of the kind of a meta topic, I guess, is almost how little the broader conversation has moved on um, things statistical in the NBA, kind of in the last three seasons. It seems like we're, it's a little bit Rip Van Winkle. I wake up and we're still kind of talking about uh, shot defense metrics and and catch-alls and stuff like that, and um, it's a little bit frustrating to watch that from afar as kind of Um, you know, baseball has been lucky that they've had, you know, fan graphs and baseball perspectives and stuff like that. That has been really kind of a store of accumulated knowledge and basketball hasn't really had that. So it's kind of, you know, people learn these things, uh, there's a tendency for them to get hired away by teams and then those things disappear. And then the same kind of things get quote rediscovered again. And, and we're talking about them all over again. So, um, I I guess it's a non-answer to your question, but that's sort of uh, um, – I think that's something that that I'm certainly interested in is uh, is helping to create more of a living body of, of knowledge to build upon so we don't have to reinvent the wheel every season with the same kind of like not even which player debate, but which uh, general concepts that then we can, you can use those baseline concepts and then build higher and higher and really start to start to understand kind of the, the building blocks of the game in that way.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there, there is a challenge and I've, I've dealt with this, you know, especially with, with Nate and I with dunked on of, you know, like understanding that not for everybody, you know, there, there are obviously much bigger platforms that exist, but, having, trying to use the platform that I have to, you know, not necessarily like to elevate the conversation. I I don't want to like deify my own impact or anything like that, but to, to try to take it away from the elements that I think are harmful or not, you know, just like not productive or useful. And it is, it is really important to have more voices that can affect the way that people think about it and affect some of those conversations because without it, they can get genuinely stagnant.
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, that if people consume the game from a pure, you know, I'm just watching the games, let it wash over me standpoint. That's great. And I'm not, you know, I don't think that's a, that's a bad way to view things, but there are also uh, a reason why sports engages kind of a lot of the population is kind of the, the, the intellectual, how's this work? Let me anticipate what's going to happen next, kind of avenue, and to the people who are enjoying it that way, rather than kind of as a as a as a film or as a you know as as a spectacle, um, giving them better tools to to kind of understand what's what they're seeing, what they're watching. Uh, I think in, in enhances enjoyment. And that's you know it's in at heart it's a, it is it is an entertainment pro- uh, product so it's not it's not like it's not important in any you know global sense that people understand basketball better only insofar as if, if people derive more enjoyment from from it that way it becomes a more fulfilling pastime for people and that's um I, so increasing the store of knowledge in that way is is kind of what what I what I hope. You know, kind of the, these sorts of discussions, and obviously the the, the the stuff that that you and Nate talk about can can help with.
1: Yeah, I actually had an interesting conversation over the weekend with somebody who is a journalist in a different part of entertainment. You know, a more a more scripted kind of static form of entertainment and he was expressing jealousy about what i get to do as a sports analyst because of the idea that not only is it changing and evolving so much but that we get so much material to test ideas it isn't like if you're a music critic or a game critic or a movie critic where you know there are only so many things that get released and they're they're generally scripted and they go through all the stuff and so with sports We, you know, not everything is right all the time, and part of the fun is that the sport is evolving all the time. But the ability to test and retest and get information and develop understandings is part of what, to me, makes sports so fascinating and so compelling. It's part of what drew drew me to it as a kid and has made me stay involved and with it at a at a larger degree as an adult.
0: It's it's funny uh, uh, that that reminds me of uh, of a question people seem to ask a lot: is why. So much, so many people who are into sports analytics uh, broadly and basketball and ex- specifically are uh, so into pro wrestling, and I think it's almost the reverse of that, where you know the the unscripted nature of basketball can kind of it like like raises the possibility of certain narratives and then kind of dashes them on the rocks of what actually happened. Whereas, um, you know, when done well, which uh, subtweet is not WWE right now, uh, when done done well. Um, like wrestling actually, like like raises these narratives and then delivers on them, and I think that's so. It's two; it's flip sides of the same thing. Um, maybe it's a little bit of the from from your your friend on the on the the more Hollywood entertainment side. I guess maybe that's a little bit of grass is always greener.
1: Yeah, it it could definitely be. And w- with sports, I think this was something you got into on Twitter on Tuesday about also the way that. Analytics and you know, kind of the takeaways from it can be discussed. A good example of this is Moneyball, where some interpreted Moneyball as being, you know, like glorifying on base percentage, when really what Moneyball, as I interpreted it, as, and I hope I'm right about how Michael Lewis was writing about it, is that it's about finding what is undervalued and pursuing that, but also the idea that what is undervalued changes with time. And how that is, you know, those who try to pigeonhole or try to box in a lot of the idea behind it is, you know, analytics, in my understanding, is more it's more like the scientific method where you're trying and adapting and changing rather than this is always good and this is always bad.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's right. Um I science like like describing it as science uh, gets me a little bit as as a
1: sister who is a somebody who has a sister who's a hard scientist. I I immediately cringed a little bit when I said it. Yeah, it's it's more the idea that it isn't an absolute good. It's just that it's that it's trying to find what is strong at the moment. The idea that that nothing is permanent.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, But also um, it's not just kind of the 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 kind of the the Newtonian aspects of, of, of physics or something like that. It's also, I mean, so much of it is, our understanding uh, of things almost requires to be as much about um, uh, interpretation as it is about kind of pure, uh, you know, pure objective understanding. And and that's sort of, that's, that's almost a pet peeve of, that's definitely a pet peeve of mine, is um, kind of because something can, you can express you know uh, uh, an algorithmic uh, you know outcome to like three decimal places that sort of gives the appearance of precision when that's really you're just an estimate that's that's taken out to that um length and you know you have your method that got you there but you also know other things that that frequently didn't go into your to your calculations and those and you know those matter too you just don't know how to weight them so it's this is kind of this is about what i think this isn't everything I know is, is that number on, on the page. And I feel like like saying it's scientific or objective is, is a way of, of both trying to, you know, add additional force to, Oh, if you disagree with this, you're disagreeing with facts. Uh, and, but also almost an abdication of responsibility to properly contextualize and interpret it. It's just that, uh, you know, the, it's just, Hey, it's not me. It's just the numbers said when, you know, the numbers, the, uh, the, the, the outcome, Uh, is naturally a reflection of kind of the assumptions you made in terms of of what is important what what matters Um, uh, right
1: and and like i think a good example of that could be i was thinking of synergy points per possession and so if you're breaking it down remember that those that those are logs that are done by individual people and those could end up being screwed up there's i mean post up versus iso in particular like that is a very a very nebulous line to draw and that matters too. So there, while there, you're getting down to this bi- you know, this d- big decimal number and you can put it in percentile rankings and all that, there is a more human element that is involved in creating the sample. And that, that human element has to be acknowledged and understood as well. Now, maybe you just take, take that as a part of it. But I, I just thought of that as an example of what you were getting at.
0: Oh, sure. And it's not just, I mean, there's the, and and by the way, those, those kind of interpretations, there's not a right or wrong. These are all kind of artificial constructs that we're kind of putting names on. So, you know, the difference between, you know, a guy like Blake Griffin, who, who you know, will, will, you know, will post up in kind of a mid-range area, turn and face. Is he posting up? Is he facing up? Is it a spot up? Is it a, is it an isolation? Like, what is it? Um, and you know, different, you know, even if you asked people on different like NBA coaching staffs, how they would categorize that play, you get you get different responses based on kind of whatever their individual taxonomy is. So there's not you know, it's, it's not a it, it's a it's a flavor thing, not necessarily a, a factual thing. Um, and even beyond that, even if you had all those kind of categorizations um you dialed in like the the points per possession it's not just you know it's not just you know uh, what the one player did it's it's entirely not entirely but largely dependent on like the team he's working in obviously if you're the one scorer on a team with four non shooters your isolation numbers are going to look different than if you know if if you're you know LeBron should, surrounded by 440% three point shooters versus surrounded by four non shooters like He's going to score more if he has more space. He's going to he's going to generate more points via assists if he has better shooters. Um, and so that's not you know the difference between those numbers isn't uh, the, the like the hypothetical numbers isn't oh LeBron played much better. It's he was also in a kinder uh, in a kinder context. I mean I think the the uh, what was it the 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 twenty fifteen finals uh, fourteen. It's, the twenty fifteen finals, right? When everyone was hurt for, yeah, that was for the, 15. the Cavs. Yeah, like his his efficiency numbers were pretty terrible, but he was also, like, subjectively at least, was in more control of the games in that series than just about anyone I can remember, just because they had to play in such a grindy LeBron do everything way. Now, so which is a better reflection of how well he played? So that it's that, that's that's not a that's not a That's not a a question that lends itself to a fully objective answer because um, there's some subjectivity in what do we think is important here
1: right and along those lines something that i've become more interested in over the years is the idea that usage has to go somewhere and it can only go so many places so you could think about that in the the high efficiency extremely low usage type of guys those three and d players that can't dribble you know like danny green in his early spurs days is a pretty good archetype of that you know he's a little bit better now but that that's sort of a player yeah there's a value to that but if you don't have enough guys that can create those shots for danny green then he becomes a less valuable player but then you can have it on the other side and this has been my criticism of the the Westbrook Harden fit at this stage in their careers is that James Harden is an unbelievable offensive creator with the ball in his hands not only for himself but for his teammates and I mean he can be the the lead guy on an unbelievable offense and if you're taking possessions away from him and giving them to Russell Westbrook, even ignoring all the the off-ball and everything else like that, it might lead to a less effective overall outcome, or at least one with more variance in it.
0: Well, I think that the, the the simplest way almost to look at that is you know it's it's there's only one ball, and I haven't I haven't I run the exact numbers uh, recently, but I, I want to say that if you if you you can take a with the the tracking data you can you can look and see how much time each player possesses the ball so a simple percentage of time a player possesses the ball uh, relative to time he's on the court like a time of possession percentage kind of like in in football they were i think uh, Westbrook and harden were were i think two of the top three or four players in the league in terms of of uh, of most of, like the largest amount of time spent possessing the ball i think if you uh, it's entirely possible that, that each, that each of them, I think each of them was close to around 50% of the time for their own teams on offense. So it's like for them to stay at the same possession rate each, they'd actually like, it would be more than the total time Houston is going to have the ball next year. Now, obviously that's not what's going to happen. One, they're, they're one or more likely both of them are going to have the ball less, but that's still, if their best skill is ball in hand, um, they're going to have do that less. Um, now, you can say that, well, both of them have attributes more Harden than Westbrook, obviously, that that could make them effective off-the-ball players. But, you know, I think you saw you thought the same thing maybe with Harden and Chris Ball. And it turned out that, that when they were playing together, it was more Chris Ball moved off the ball, um, which I don't know if you would have necessarily predicted that at the start, but that's kind of how it worked out. So it'll be very interesting to see kind of how that develops. And if there's a way that they can create an ecosystem that actually – gets the best or close to the best out of the two of them playing together.
1: Right, and there is also the ancillary benefit, even like theoretically, even if it leads to a less efficient offense, let's say to take the ball out of Harden, if that makes him put less wear over the course of the year and he's then thus more fresh, "Quote unquote for the playoffs and and like let's say the gas tank just has five percent or ten percent more fuel in it and he can push a little bit harder that would be a huge benefit. We don't know if that's necessarily true in either form." Or if maybe, you know, having Russell Westbrook on the team means that this is one of my pet theories, that it kind of weakens Harden's MVP case. And so maybe he's not pushing as hard, you know, that that kind of that stretch from February to early early April, which has been such a big part of it, the year he won the MVP. And then it, it could have been last year, except that Giannis had the MVP season. And maybe toning that down actually makes a big impact, but again it's you know it 's something that we'll'll we'll kind of just have to see, and it also will depend, of course on what is happening with the rockets between now and then and who 's healthy and and everything else like that
0: mm, certainly and that's i mean that that's also i mean it gets at uh, one of the one of the sort of interesting things that we haven 't again we haven 't progressed as well as as he publicly, I think is is kind of okay. The this is this is a fairly unique situation of throwing these two guys together. What happens next? I don't think we have a good. I don't think we have a a, a great understanding of 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 what is likely to happen and what that looks like. What does it look like if, you know, given his current skill set, if Russell Westbrook has the ball, you know, twenty percent of the time instead of twenty five percent of the time, what is that? What does that do to his game? Um, you know, we can. We can conjecture, but from a from a, a statistical or modeling perspective, it's kind of, we don't know. Um, and it'll be interesting in that regard, but also kind of, you know, trying to study and build the tools to really understand that better is, is something that uh, I'm looking forward to doing some of.
1: Well, it's something I, and, and it, there might just be a sample size issue on it that could preclude it from being as useful as I would like it to be. But I've, I've been wondering about some of those limitations Westbrook Harden in particular but there are numerous other ones where basically players have players or a combination of players have a weakness but it it's just too it's just too hard or too rare to exploit it in the regular season but it can theoretically be in the playoffs both because you can get those scattering ports you play teams more often the incentives are there you can you can coach for a specific opponent all of those different elements come into play and I would be, I would love to know if, for example, you know, like some of the more prominent ones, like you know, like Andrew Bogut on on Tony Allen or Draymond on Rajon Rondo over the last couple of years, or you know, there are a lot of non-shooters, Joel Embiid on Pascal Siakam last year in the playoffs. If if there is some real merit to like those players having more space, you know, basically being guarded less, and how that impacts their offense in those sorts of circumstances the problem though is that maximum a seven game series a lot of times those things don't carry over but i would love to know if if those you know like not guarded players if that really does have the impact that i feel like it does in the playoffs
0: that's a, that's a really interesting question and then if it does have the impact why is it is it um i mean i can you know speak from 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 a a, a little bit you know not comparable but you know from a from a bad, from my playing perspective, like just not getting guarded can really mess with your head. Um, and, and, you know, and, and if, if that happens, you know, the, these, these are not robots and, and something like that happens. Um, does that affect other parts of your game? Um, you know, a lot of the guys who, uh, who you know this in many in many instances who would kind of get this treatment? It's like okay, he's a liability on offense, but he makes it up in other ways. Well, does the does the well, does the man? I'm it's embarrassing for me out here. I'm just not getting guard, I can't do anything. How does that affect the other parts of of, of, of like the, the strong parts of their game? Um, and and you know does that is is it. Is it is it just the the offensive part that makes them a liability or do they do they also for whatever reason like lose the good parts too and so then that's why in some cases it seems like guys become more unplayable or is the unplayability an overreaction or is it somewhere in between?
1: and also I'd be interested in how does that affect the quality of the looks for their teammates? You know, again, we're now we're yeah. getting into even smaller samples. But I mean, that's something that I've seen in various series over the last couple of years. I mean, that was part of the idea of Toronto's box and one on Steph Curry is can you can you make it so that life is. Sufficiently hard on everybody else, or you're making those other people take shots that they're outside of their comfort zone, and so kind of the idea of is the strategy worth it, or or more basically what is the effect on everyone else? Because that's the whole reason you're doing it. You're putting Draymond Green on Rajon Rondo, so Draymond Green can mess everything else up. So the effects on Anthony Davis, the effects on Drew Holiday, that is an important factor to try to put together as well.
0: Absolutely, and. I mean, you know, we we can talk ourselves in circles about this. It's just really complicated, um, and 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 get, gets back to you know a lot of that. We just don't know yet. I mean, we again, I think, you know, subjectively we can we can make some inferences about it, but um, I, there's nothing that we have proven yet statistically about that and i think it's i mean it's more interesting that way if it was solved then it would be boring um but it's it's you know we're only we're only you know six years into having you know xy data for, for players and we're, we're still kind of just scratching the surface of that and that's you know there, there's plenty more um the, the, one of the great items that i that i've always thought would be a super interesting uh aspect to add into evaluation of defense was was some kind of audio component I mean, we know we, we know communication is is hugely important uh, in in defense, right? So, uh, you know, why uh, if we get if we get if we actually hear players talking and identify who's talking, then maybe that's a, that's sort of a a thing that's it's maybe described now as kind of an intangible or uh, or something else. Uh, maybe we can start to measure that too, and then we can see. You know, you go back to you know the guys who have been defensive player of the year types, despite not having um you know the typical kind of athleticism like the Marcus All type well he's always in the right spot was described as a defensive quarterback stuff like that man if we had if we if we had somehow had the tracking data but also kind of a a court mic that could we could use to differentiate we could hear him call out and be call out opposing play sets and and kind of direct his teammates where to go and stuff like that and and and, and kind of evaluate that kind of that additional skill on top of kind of the, the stuff we normally see, you know, the, the running, jumping, length, verticality, all that kind of stuff.
1: I would also be really interested in the converse. And if I had any voiceover, the acronym would involve swaggy in some form of which players are talked to the most. You know, which players need the most direction in terms of what plays their teams are running or where to be? And does that stick with it? So, I mean, Jordan Bell is a lot of this comes from the Warriors because I get to see a lot of this stuff more than you do. And because a lot of it is easier to see in person than on on television because you get the full scope of it. You know, like who needs direction the most? That'd be something that I think would be really interested in does a player who gets a lot of that early in their career, do they get better? Does that, is that something that tones down? Are they still comparatively high when they get later in their career? Do they quote unquote, figure it out? Like there's a lot of stuff there. Theoretically, like you're talking about kind of like quantifying what had been intangible that I would just love to know.
0: And that, that like spawns a number of, of other questions. Like, um, can you survive, you know, one guy who needs to be directed? How about two guys is, how much worse is two guys than one guy? My, my intuition is that there's a, there's a point at which I I think that having two guys who are really sure what they're doing is more than twice as bad as just having one and three times you're, if you have three guys, you're done, <laughs> and, and you know. And, and actually, maybe having five guys who don't know what they're doing is might be better than having having two guys who do know what they're doing and three who don't. Well, and then and then, 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 you the, could,
1: <laughs> then you could switch everything. You could go to a basic system, and and at least then everybody would know what they're doing in that context.
0: Or the or the offense wouldn't know what was going on either, <laughs> and maybe you would just just through fear. What are they Are they playing zone? Are they, I don't know. And maybe would, the the confusion of it would uh, I, would, I, would 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 create some uh, some defensive some defensive quality
1: I, i feel like that's how all of my middle school basketball games turned out was the the defense by sheer incompetence plenty more to talk about with Seth, but first a message from betonline.ag. Summer action continues to heat up in baseball and the MLS, and we are just weeks away from the NFL preseason. There's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the Podcast 1 promo code for your 50% welcome bonus. It's right after the trade deadline that's always a really fun time in baseball because you have some faces in new places. Zach Renke going to the Astros is interesting, and a bunch of other pieces changing the pennant race so you can keep an eye on that and a great way to stay engaged is with betonline.ag and there's so many baseball games sometimes you want to make it a little bit more interesting or add a little bit of, a little bit of sizzle and that's a great way to do it and you don't need to sit on the sidelines anymore you can get in on the action And don't forget to use the Podcast One promo code, or you can text BETNOW, B-E-T-N-O-W, to 238669. Either way, you get that 50% welcome bonus. You tell them that you came from us. So get in on the action at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts it's fascinating to kind of to think about a lot of that stuff. And and part of what I'm excited about is also, and what makes sports, especially at the NBA level, so compelling, is that the inputs are always changing too. I mean, now we're starting to see guys coming into the league who were more comfortable taking threes, you know, in high school, some of them in middle school, like we're getting closer to that level. And it's not just point guards, you know, you look at the shots that Trey Young is taking, but it's true with bigs as well. And if we can get to that that kind of baseline of competence where there are just more player there're more individual human beings at various size levels that can shoot 32 34 38 from three that starts to open things up too and we could get you know like i i I've, I've thought that one of the big kind of differentiators was you know can you survive with three competent shooters versus four and then if we can get to four versus five then this is a very different offensive paradigm that that some teams will be able to take advantage of
0: that's um, that, that, um, that, that's interesting. I'm all, but it's also what is the 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 flip side is that what at what point does the defensive paradigm shift and then then like shooting isn't the swing skill maybe at a certain point and and with all the switching we might be coming to this actually that that you know it goes back to you know in the at some point in the not too distant past like one on one shot creation ability was the was this. Sw- Playing skill right that was a differentiator and that was the thing everyone was looking for and then it became actually well no it's a it's a duplicative skill and you only, you only you don't need everyone to be able to do that and it's really for people who are playing off the ball and they need to be able to shoot um be able to break someone down off the dribble well maybe it, maybe we move back to a, an environment where everyone's got to be able to, to to beat their guy um, because the defense adjusts to everyone being able to shoot and and that's you know then, then and then that trickles down to lower levels of basketball, and we, you know, we, we're, we're seeing. I think we're kind of starting to see the effects of 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 Steph's style of play now, because there's guys who, you know, when he first came to prominence, there are guys who are coming into the league now who are, you know, middle schoolers, early high schoolers. So they kind of started to add that to their game because they discovered it was possible. And when the next iteration comes it's going to take you know it's going to take five six years for for that next thing to kind of start to filter up through the ranks
1: right and and one that I'm really interested in and this will this kind of could bridge the gap of the two different ideas is I've been fixated on the idea of like bigs that can shoot for a long time. And there there are different ways that that can work. I mean, you can look at somebody like... Since Anthony
0: Randolph or... or, or is, is oh, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, well, I mean, for for a long time. I mean, you could even go back to like Memo, Kerr, and, and various other guys in the, in the past. And Dirk, I mean, Dirk was very important. I mean, in my writing career, he was I mean, he was just so prominent during those early years. But getting to the point, if we can see bigs that can handle enough that I've used the phrase two dribbles in a good decision for a long time, but if that becomes more of a standard thing than it has been so far, you know, I, I'm thinking of players like, I'm not saying he's there yet because he most certainly is not, but like Jonathan Isaac, like those kind of low usage players. And maybe they, they're not going to be those ISO scores like you were talking about. They can't reach that level. But if you have to close out on them a little bit harder and they can do the escape dribble and then just like make one dribble, get somebody else open and pass them the ball, then, then you start to talk about what new, new sorts of swing skills because it gets the defense a little bit more in rotation than they are right now.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. You brought that up because that ties back to to someone else you brought up earlier. Like that's you talk about like Danny Green at the beginning of his career and Danny Green now. That's like the big difference is you you know he's he's never going to be a great one on one shot creator, but he through you know whatever process became just from a purely. You know, catch and shoot guy to a guy who can take one or two dribbles, pass the close out, cause a rotation, make the next pass. And that, you know, that that makes him a, a more effective player than a guy who is, you know, a, a, a effectively a place kicker who just stands in one spot, shoots. And if he doesn't do that, then you kind of you're at a dead end and you got to pass the ball to someone else and you start over.
1: And that ties in with something that I've grown an interest in in your three years in your three years out of the public sphere, which are players who who are effective shooters, but are reluctant shooters. And that, you know, the the players who, you know, I like to think about this in terms of the positioning and the attitude of the player who is guarding them. So not all 38 percent three point shooters are the same because some guys and you and you when you watch the NBA a lot, you see this and it's part of the joy for me of watching so much league passes, there are some guys who, yeah, maybe they're a 38% shooter, but they take a long time with their their release, or they're they're only going to take it if they're wide open, and so their guy isn't just living in their jersey like they are for certain players who have a quick release or really active shooters. And along the lines of the gravity that Kevin Pelton and Tom Haberstroh have written about before, there is an intense value to being a more aggressive shooter, and that is is a really interesting, important part of this equation for me as well.
0: Well, there's... Not to be pedantic, but I will. Um, there's a difference between a guy who is shooting 38% from three and a guy who's a 38% three point shooter. Yes, and a, a very guy good who point is, to bring up. Yeah, and a guy who is a reluctant shooter. He may have hit 38% of his shots, but if he really thought he was that good a shooter, he would shoot more, like uh, for the most part. So uh, I think uh, the, to, to make it as an NBA player, one generally does not lack confidence in one's ability. So if a guy thinks he can make a shot, he's going to shoot it, and so the player who is the reluctant shooter who happens to be hitting a high percentage, like he's he's in some way telling the defense that that they don't really need to guard him. Um, This is the the flip side of this is is kind of the shot defense stuff. Um, Like it's an extreme way of saying it, but. If you're guarding a shooter on the perimeter and he takes a shot, you haven't played good enough defense, regardless of whether it goes in or not. Now, obviously, that's subject to a bunch of, of caveats. There are players who are who take bad shots uh, with you know routinely, but for the most part, if a guy decides he, he's open when he sh- open enough when he catches it to shoot it, he's probably that, that's, he's probably right to do so. If he's if he's made it to the NBA level, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that it does, and that might be the way of of kind of getting this conversation into a different place, and and also, a lot of those, you know, reluctant 38% shooters, they're it ends up being more of a sample size issue than anything else. And then maybe they have one year where they're there and then another year where they're 33 or 32 and you're like, oh, okay, that's probably closer to what they actually are. And surprise, surprise, when there's a smaller sample, it's more prone to fluctuation and variance. And that can explain some of it as well.
0: Well, and, and really it's, um, especially for, for something like, you know, like three point shooting for most players, a season is too small of a sample to have, to, to really have, have pegged their, quote unquote true ability as a shooter um, to the effect to the extent that that's some kind of fixed thing um, so it's it's you know we're, we're it's we're we're kind of guessing at the players true abilities through kind of expressions of them as we see it over the course of of, of you know e2 games and then the playoffs each year so there are guys who um, you know the and, and on some level like I think as you're getting at it almost doesn't matter how many of the shots go in because uh, how closely you're being guarded um, has more of an effect on how well your team does offensively than the difference between shooting 34 and 38%. Like if uh, uh, a 34% shooter that the defense felt like they had to blanket, I think almost certainly has a more offensive impact than a guy who shoots 38%, uh, but the defense feels free to sag off of. Because that's, you know, that, that the difference there is – is is what, one made shot every, depending on volume, every five games or so, maybe. Um, so that's, that's you know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a decent number of points, obviously. But, but uh, um, it, at the same time, like that over every possession that that guy plays, it, would it be with the additional space that the 34% shooter is creating, would it outweigh that one shot? I think uh, very likely would.
1: Right, and I, I think this is a more extreme example than than would probably be preferable, but like so I was thinking about there was I think it was the 15 finals, it might have been the 16 finals, but I think it was 15 where Clay Thompson, you know, he didn't have uh, he he had some some good counting set nights, but overall he wasn't as big. But one of the biggest impacts that Thompson had was Amon Shumpert was one of the only good defenders on that Cavs team, especially I think it was 15 cuz they had so many guys that were hurt. And Clay Thompson basically had Schumper in his jersey the entire series, and so what that meant was one of Cleveland's best defenders just couldn't be anywhere else. And there is an incredible value to that too.
0: Uh, definitely. I mean it's not you're not you're not trying to you know, you're not trying to maximize Clay Thompson's points. You're trying to maximize the team's points. And that's you know, that that's it sort of gets lost when there's there's talk about you know that oftentimes the, the, a team fits imperfectly together and and well you know they could be doing more to like those Cavs teams were actually a prime example like could they be doing more to get Kevin Love involved? Yes, would that have been would that that may have been better for Kevin Love's numbers? Would that have been better for Cleveland? Maybe maybe not. I don't know. Um, but I like my my suspicion at the time was that um, you know the the that, that having him in kind of the, the tertiary role was probably was probably a reasonably good allocation of resources, and they were very good offensive teams, especially when they had LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love on, on the floor at the same time. So, yeah, was it, was it best for him? Did it allow him to put up kind of the same sort of all-star numbers as he put up in Minnesota? Well, uh, not really, but does that mean he was a worse player, or that he was just used differently. He was used more as a decoy because he happened to be playing with other better primary scores than he had been uh, early in his career.
1: But I think that that gets into an interesting conversation that, you know, about team building and an ecosystem that we don't have to, to delve into all the way now. But the idea that certain players are significantly more or less valuable in different circumstances. Nate and I actually talked about this a little bit in the context of Montrez Harrell in the mailbag dunked on that came out on Monday night. That there are, and it's no blame or whatever to those players, there are certain guys with certain skill sets and one of them are centers that aren't good at defense. That are significantly more valuable for non-contending teams because they're just not particularly, unless they're so insanely good at offense, they're not really 16-game players to use to use a, a more common parlance. Now,
0: I, you know, I, I see what you're getting at. I think that I think that that's that dichotomy between you know 16-game players and regular season players. I think that's that that is that is. Uh, that is reductive. I think that, it's you know, over, it's are,
1: overstated for sure.
0: It's over, it's overstated, but yeah, I think, I mean, there, there, there are, uh, you know, um, there, there are certainly guys who are better against, you know, teams one through 30 in the league relative th- than they would be to teams, you know, one through 15 or, or teams one through eight or teams one through four, as you go through the, through the playoffs. So yeah, there's you know there there are, the, it's another way of saying that you know if you change the competition, different skills become more important. Now that doesn't mean that like like those skills become completely unimportant. Um, and there's probably still um, you know I, uh, I I have a feeling what we're going to get a, a nice a nice te- a test for for Montrezl this year. Um, you know the the like the, he. There will still be a a place for him in in kind of a later round playoff series. It's it's whether or not like those the the limitations can be attacked enough so that the benefits no longer outweigh them, um, and that's. You know you you can have suspicions but you kind of you don't know until you see it
1: right and there is also an intense benefit to getting to that point i mean you can't just build an entire team of even if they existed of 16 game players necessarily because you there there are a lot of minutes to log in the regular season and just because somebody's less effective in those circumstances doesn't mean that they are ineffective or anything like that and I think it is a little bit different when we're talking about a support player like Harrell rather than a centerpiece like DeMar DeRozan. Like, I mean, that was a criticism that I had of him back with those Raptors teams. But also, especially—and I wonder how Raptors fans feel about this in hindsight now that they've seen the difference between a championship-caliber team and the team that they had before that— of, you know, there are some players who just really aren't, can't elevate their teams to that level. And again, there's no shame in that. It's just that they're not, like, DeMar DeRozan isn't the best player in a championship team. There's, that's not a, it shouldn't be a devastating criticism. It's just what was true.
0: I would, mean, this, that, I guess, too, is something that, that, that's been kind of in my mind since all the way back to, like, the 93 finals. And I, like, uh, that was the year that the uh, 93, 9, uh, 92 Finals, I guess, was the year that the Bulls beat the Blazers in the finals, and that was there was you know uh, Clyde Drexler was probably the the second best shooting guard in the world at the time. Uh, un- unfortunately, he was not nearly as good as Michael Jordan, and and just seeing kind of how what happened to a team when suddenly, all right, this is the matchup we win every night, and not only do we no longer win this matchup, we actually lose it. And lose it by a decent margin. Like, what do we do now? Um, and and so that's um, and, and that's sort of an interest. I've sort of wondered about kind of having a team's kind of quote strength turn into a weakness in in kind of higher levels of competition like that uh, for a long time. And oh, I think yeah. that. I I, so, I think that's another go ahead.
1: So uh, there's also an interesting one of their uh, like I was thinking about how the Warriors Rockets series turned into rock fights and how that took both teams out of their identity. You know, at least to some extent the Rockets still were able to do it. And also in many of those circumstances, those rock fight type series also become less fun, and so I'm guessing that leads to some players becoming less engaged too.
0: Uh I I, I think when you get to like conference finals uh Time you hope, that, you in the hope second they care. round of the playoff. I um I I have little doubt that there's that 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 the that the that the care factor is high. And sure, yeah, I think
1: be. I probably over I overstepped it in terms of that. But just the idea that I'm sure there's something deflating about just like not touching the ball for a while.
0: No, I think no, I, that that might brew, and then and then maybe it's maybe not disengaged, but maybe out of rhythm, so that the ball finds you, and like, yeah, what do I do now? i haven't i haven't dribbled this thing in twenty minutes. what do i do um and that's yeah, um you know that that's probably slightly overstating but the the, the kind of the, the the kind of flow state you have to be in to, to perform you know at an elite level in sports like i think it it might be easier to it it, it might be somewhat easy to to get taken out of that
1: yeah definitely interesting uh i mean you and i could talk for for eons about various things i'll open the floor to you if there is anything else that you want to discuss otherwise we can save it for a future episode because hopefully we will talk again at some point in the near future um
0: i don't know i'm i am i am i guess i'm i'm looking forward to the 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 wide openness of of the nba next year um i feel like we've been in uh there's there's been such a feeling of determinism Uh, Over the last, I don't know, four seasons, would you say? Um, And, and kind of moving out of that is, is I like, I didn't really buy the determinism. And I think that, that if you look back, um, you know, in hindsight, like the, you know, even, uh, even last season, like, you can easily say you know the 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 Rockets could have pretty easily won that series. So the 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 predetermined nature of you know Warriors dominance was probably overstated. But just so that the, the, even the conversation moves on from oh the Warriors again ruined basketball blah blah blah, and now maybe <laughs> maybe it'll be something else that 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 has ruined basketball in the future. But at least it'll be a different thing that's supposedly ruining basketball.
1: Also, how does that? perceived wide openness assuming teams agree with us how does that affect how teams approach the trade deadline how they approach like basically all the the personnel decisions they make because if it's a closer margin you could see some of these teams get really aggressive
0: i mean i think we've probably seen a little bit of that with the amount of first round picks that have moved around um that also might be that with the you know the uh, you know the relative strength of various drafts as perceived. Uh, also, the the fact that uh, especially higher picks are are actually I think less valuable now, uh, just because of the change in the salary structure. I, mean, I think we saw that a little with with you know Markel Fultz. Like part of the reason that that saga was so fraught is like what is he making next year as as a he's like, something like ten and.
1: Yeah, he his so the team option for the twenty twenty one season, so that would be his fourth year team option, is I believe almost exactly ten million dollars. Okay. that's a and so lot that's, of money.
0: Yeah, like you know, you had all of a sudden the, these kind of these later year kind of decisions. It could, it, you know, when it becomes you know an interesting decision, and for and, and it becomes a lot higher to harder to justify carrying a guy, which you know means you have to make a decision earlier which also like lowers the value of of kind of of having that 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 pick because the the value is you know having several cost controlled years that you could evaluate a guy and then having some team control to hopefully keep him on a good price well if that if that becomes more of a gamble because you have to start making those decisions earlier because those contracts are taking up a, a bigger percentage of the cap than they kind of were kind of between sort of uh, the, the rising cap and the, and the, the new CBA, which, which, you know, tied the rookie contracts to the cap, like that, that relatively speaking, lowers the, the, lowers the value of, of those, of those contracts, those picks in relation to other, other, you know, possible, um, avenues of team building. So I think that, that there's a lot of things working together that, that, that maybe will loosen up the, the, the trade market as, as, you know, more of these assets come into play. Um, I think that uh, draft picks are are great lubricants for, for, for deals. And if they're those, they aren't like a a hoarded commodity, then that, that might make, you know, more, even more player movements um, uh, possible, which is certainly perhaps dizzying, but possibly more fun
1: yeah and we could also see, and we I think we 've already seen some of this a loosening of protections, because remember there used to just not be that many unprotected picks that moved, and partially just due to the sheer number you know you can 't protect picks very much if you 're going to send two or three out like we 've seen a couple of trades that have done that unless it involves certain situations, and so I think that 's a part of it, but also something that i 'm enjoying, and maybe this is the CPA nerd part of me. But having some really challenging option decisions, you know, like those and, and these real consequences like Josh Jackson, I think, is is a good example here. You know, like there's a chance that Josh Jackson becomes a valuable player and that maybe if a team declines an option on him, it ends up biting them or that, you know, it becomes a successful player somewhere else. Or even because some of these options are so high that they could resign. We're seeing that more often like QuirkMoz and Looney and a couple other situations. And... I think that's a better ecosystem. I don't think it should necessarily be that it's a good system where just because the the contracts are so artificially deflated that every guy or almost every guy that gets drafted in the first round makes it to the fourth year of their contract.
0: I think the what is a good system is maybe a conversation for another time. Um, that's sort of that that has been that that is that, that, that's a question I had before I, I I I I worked inside and I continue to have after is. Um like who benefits from complexity? Um and is is that good? Like obviously, I mean from a professional standpoint, obviously uh the, the complexity of the CBA is very good for you. So I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, push you out of a job or anything like
1: that. Uh, uh, just, it sounds like you are, just, but it's okay.
0: <laughs> no, but just 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 wondering from a kind of a league enjoyment standpoint. I mean, obviously, the, the whole player movement off season ecosystem thing has, has been gangbusters for you know content and engagements. But I'm wondering, is that is, is that is that a sustainable like goldmine? Is it is, is is the is there a system a more a simpler system that puts the focus more back on the court? uh, even attainable or is that, 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 uh, is that genie out of the bottle or I'm, and I'm rambling now, but, but you kind of, just kind of see what I'm getting at here. Like, you know, obviously there are certain front offices that ah, make it more complex, like remove, make it more complex, remove the ability of the, remove all the things that, uh, protect a team from itself. And, and, and let's, let's go complete laissez-faire capitalism on this. And, 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 uh, I don't think I need to name names on that, but the, the, I mean, obviously, there's there's a great degree of self interest in in people who kind of push for those, those those sort of reforms.
1: The incentives get really complicated, and there are arguments in a lot of different directions. But yeah, that would be a fun conversation to be had. Maybe that's that's one that we can spend a little bit of time talking about at the athletic. Maybe just maybe.
0: <laughs> Although I think I'd want to. I think we'd both want to think long and hard about that one first.
1: Oh because... yeah. Oh, that would need like weeks <laughs> weeks of lead time for sure because anyway,
0: as you know as you know better than anyone given how how kind of the the the, the almost the, the jenga stack of of uh, any one team's kind of salary decisions can be and then amalgamate that into you know a, across the league and um you know it, little changes can have big big effects and unforeseen effects that can that can um you know, the, I think you, you've talked about this at the time was kind of the the decision to to sort of grandfather like Durant's contract into the into the like the the the, the Derek Rose role. Right. Like that's a like that, that, that's a, a piece of minutiae that I think affected a lot of different things.
1: Yeah, there there are a lot of those examples over time, and also I mean Nate has articulated this well. Just the the way that unintended consequences have shaped basically every CBA and and all like through, through, from extension negotiations and and everything else and. It you know it, I think it's it's good to have these conversations. I think it's important to and to think about the idea that you know like what would I, I did an NBA utopia series years ago for the Sporting News and might end up trying to bring something similar at some point in the future. And the idea of really taking the time because hopefully the league and this, the partners negotiating the CBA do this as well, the owners and the players that even small changes have these large outco- have these large effects and you don't really get the chance to change it until the next cpa so you want to make sure you, you know there isn't a perfect solution for anything because if there were you would hope that it would be in there but also it's just incredible to to try to get it as close to right as possible because you don't get a do over
0: <laughs> oh, right i mean it's not like you know a a game gets released and it's buggy and there's a patch in in you know a day or so um, it's like you—you know—you're kind of having to. Ooh, that's a bug. Well, we'll we'll fix it in five years. Um, <laughs> it's sort of the 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 the, the situation—it seems like like that you find yourself in a little bit.
1: Well, there'll be a lot to, to unpack and to to work through, but I'm I'm just genuinely excited to have you as a part of that conversation publicly moving forward, and of course to have you as a colleague. So, thank you for your time, and looking forward to continuing it in the future.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Danny. It's uh, it, it, like it, it's, been, uh, it's been it's been good good to chat in this format again. It's been a while.
1: Thanks so much to Seth for coming on. I am extremely excited to say that you can also read him at The Athletic now. He's going to have some... I'm really excited for what he's going to be able to do. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Seth Partnow, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W, and... He's already gone in some interesting directions, you know, like really kind of talking about analytics and and there was a little bit about Moneyball, which we ended up discussing in the podcast itself. But he's a great follow if you haven't been on that board already, and hopefully you are. And... Lots of cool stuff coming down the pike with Real GM Radio. I'm going to do more on the division stuff. I'm going, I'm planning on doing all six of those podcasts between now and the start of the season. Also, going to do the over unders with Arturo Galetti whenever we're at the point where we can do that podcast. So that's basically the next two months. I mean, if if something else great comes up and I have a few fun feelers out there, those can crop in and, you know, that's the way this works. If somebody great expresses an interest or is available, I will talk with them. And if that means multiple episodes, it means multiple episodes. If it means delaying certain things, it'll be that as well. So that's why you should subscribe and download every episode. Really do appreciate it. It comes out at different times every week. And if you also want to support the show, you can leave a rating, leave a Review in the podcast player you're choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. I understand if it's not. And if you want to be super awesome, if you use a different player, you can leave a review in Apple Podcasts too. And the most important thing you can do with this show or any other that has them though is check out our our sponsors and BetOnline.ag. Use that podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. And if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, I'm fortunate to get some really great feedback. And that doesn't have to be positive. It can be negative. It's just my goal is to make the show better. Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do that. If you take the time to write it, I take the time to read it. And I don't promise that I'll respond, though. I try to do more this time of year because I have the time to, but I don't make any promises there because I don't want to get your hopes up. And but my promise of reading it, that I do absolutely do because it's extremely important to me. So I'll be back next week. Don't know exactly what is going to run then, but it's probably going to be something cool, something with some great guests because that's what this show is. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.